0: This is an RNZ podcast. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. When Peter Jackson equaled the record for most Oscars for a single movie, The Return of the King, to refresh your memory, and the host said there are officially no more people to thank in New Zealand, it simply underlined what we already knew. New Zealand was the cool place for movies in the early 2000s. It was the home of Whale Rider and the Piano, and Ranania and that guy from Jurassic Park. But coolness is a temporary thing. It's... It's a dinosaur. <laughs> you're dead. You crazy son of a bitch, you're dead. I remember when the Czech Republic was briefly cool, and then there was the era of Latin America, culminating in the extraordinary feat of three Mexicans who took five out of six Best Director Oscars from 2013 to 2018. Hold the man's law. You do my math. Now you're about to destroy what's left of your career. Oh! We should have done that reality show they offered us. Shut up. Oh, ah! At the beginning of this year, it looked as if South Korea was going to dominate for the next few years, both in the art film field and its popular high action spectaculars. 살 사람은 <laughs> <laughs> Any country that can embrace both Escape from Mogadishu and the introspective Minari is one to be reckoned with. But now Korea seems to have been pipped at the post by Norway with films like The Worst Person in the World and Everybody Hates Johan. Mind you, Scandinavia's been a hip movie place more than once. Do you think... You can't create a great body of work and raise a family at the same time. At the age of 42, Burman had directed 25 films. How do you think he would have done that if he was also changing diapers? Even before Sweden's Ingmar Bergman conquered the intelligentsia in the 50s and 60s, the North was ultra-cool. Greta Garbo and Ingrid Bergman dominated the early sound era. In the 2000s, Denmark's dogma school caused big ripples in the art film world, followed by Stig Larsson's Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and all the Scandi Noir that followed that. And, of course, there are the Vikings. Obviously, Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones were hugely influenced by the old Norse sagas. But recently, the real things have come hollering out of our nightmares in TV shows like The Last Kingdom and Vikings Valhalla. And this week, on the big screen, comes a chilly spectacular called The Northman. I am Amlet the Bearwolf, son of King Orvand and Warraven. And I... Yes, you heard almost right. The hero is called Hamlet, or Amleth to be more authentic. And the old Icelandic tale was clearly a big influence on a certain Stratford upon Avon scribbler 400 years ago, too. Though Will balked at his moody Dane ripping out his enemy's throat with his teeth. Proof that the Norwegians are, shall we say, distinct from their Scandinavian neighbours comes in their exports. The blend of comedy and violence in crime writers like Jor and Carl Hyerson, and the famously macabre tales of Roald Dahl. Dear people of the world, I, Willy Wonka, have decided to allow five children to visit my factory. Five golden tickets have been hidden underneath the wrapping paper of five ordinary Wonka bars. A biopic of Dahl to Olivia seems hobbled by a too nice star, Downton's Hugh Bonneville. And yet, well, we'll see. And making the trifecta of Nordic tales today comes a Norwegian children's nightmare called The Innocents. Oh, no. Part let the right one in, part children of the damned. This film reinforces the doubts of every parent when they ask what their kids have been doing, and the answer is nothing. But first, wrap up warm, grab that axe and put on that helmet. Here comes the Northman. Fate has no mercy. I've always been rather fascinated by Vikings ever since I learnt that it wasn't a noun. They didn't come from a place called Vikingia. They were people who actively went Viking. Ordinary Scandinavian farmers and fishermen who were sick of scraping a living from the icy land and sea and preferred to rob other people scraping a living that way. And in the bleak winter nights, they told each other long, rambling, violent tales. The Norse sagas made Game of Thrones look like little women, and the Northman is strictly from that blueprint. Let this misdeed haunt your living nights till the flaming vengeance gorges on your death. Strike. Writer-director Robert Eggers' last film was the black-and-white tale of men going mad on the rocks, The Lighthouse. when well, there are no lights to speak of in The Northmen, set as it is in 10th-century Iceland. He's here. He's here. Father, Father is here! The king, my lady. The king. A king, Ethan Hawke, returns home after a few months Viking to be welcomed in order of enthusiasm by his young son, Amleth, his wife, Queen Gudrun, a fiery Nicole Kidman, and his brother, Fjolnir. How I've missed you, my son. One day this kingdom will be yours. Thank you, father, my king. Fjolnir obviously has plans that don't include his brother, now, he doesn't pour poison into the king's ear, preferring the more direct Viking method of chopping off his head. Though Ethan demands the equally Viking custom of a lengthy and exhaustive curse on his murderer first. <laughs> Amleth flees using his own chant of vengeance to indicate the passing of 20 years or so. Amleth becomes Alexander Skarsgård, now a warlord with a renegade bunch of Vikings. But no ordinary Vikings, these are berserkers. Going berserk was a career path among ambitious Vikings, and the northerner gives us ample opportunities to see how they do it. One day, after a satisfying amount of rape and pillage, Amleth discovers that his wicked uncle Fjolnir was driven from his home to an even drearier part of Iceland. Our hero decides to go there, disguised as a slave, and wait for the chance of revenge. Why would he throw away to such a hellish place? to find what was stolen from me. And what is that? The kingdom. George! On the voyage there, Amleth meets another slave, the beautiful Olga of the Birch Forest, played by Anya Taylor-Joy. Olga claims to be a white witch or seer. Well, by now, Amleth should be used to people predicting his future. There was one played by Willem Dafoe. Your fate is set and you cannot escape it. Well, this is no news to a Viking. Every Viking tale invariably opens with a warning that you can't outrun fate. The second seer Amleth ran into was shortly after Dad was killed. This was an exotic purveyor of Hocus Pocus, played by Icelandic singer Björk. Father! And later, Amleth and Olga find yet another cave-dwelling soothsayer who tells them they have to choose between, basically, being nice or being horrible. Well, no prizes for guessing which way your average Viking is going to go. You must choose between kindness for your kin or hate for your enemies. Their strength breaks men's bones. Ah! I have the cunning to break their minds. The Northman is certainly getting rave reviews from critics with strong stomachs who praise Robert Eggers' authenticity, or at least how close it sticks to the original source material. Personally, my own interest in Vikings tended to be more how they fit into the history of Northern Europe. And night by night, we will carry out my pledge of vengeance. I will avenge you, Father. I will avenge you, Father. They were essentially a nihilistic force, dishing out mayhem without fear or favour. It's no coincidence that Shakespeare's Hamlet, drawing on much the same material, also ends up with most of the main characters dead. I'll save you, mother. At the end of the Viking era, most of them settled down to a more boring, respectable life. But their dreams remained and occasionally manifest themselves in ultra-dark crime movies or stories like The Northman. If you're equally nostalgic for the days of Canute, Ragnar Lothbrok and the notorious Ivor the Boneless, this one's for you. But bring a warm blanket. Maybe the reason why the author of children's stories like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory was so distinctive was the Viking blood flowing through his English veins. Roald Dahl's parents were affluent Norwegians who emigrated to Wales. And while he couldn't have been more British, he was a fighter pilot during the Second World War, he always felt a bit of an outsider. May I have one? My name is Roald Dahl. Some of you may know my books. Well done for Johnny and the Giant. um... Pineapple. Thank you. Unlike the man who's playing him in the film To Olivia, Hugh Bonneville has built his reputation playing thoroughly decent chaps like Lord Grantham in Downton Abbey. The one similarity that character shares with the prickly Dahl is they both married high-profile Americans. And this is my wife, Patricia Neal. Star of stage and screen. You're one big kid, and the day you stop is the day I file for divorce. Before Dahl achieved his later fame and fortune as one of the great children's authors, he was slightly overshadowed by his wife, American film star Patricia Neal, played here by Keely Hawes. She obviously adored her husband to the extent of slowing down her career to be a mother to their then three children. We had two daughters, Olivia and Tessa. But a story can have many pages. The son, Theo, barely gets a look in, with the emphasis going on daughters Olivia, the favourite, and Tessa, the outsider. And then tragedy strikes. Olivia dies and the family collapses. Pat attempts to keep the family going, but Rolls locks himself away with a bottle of booze every night, trying to finish, or at least start, a book that's beyond him. Where were we? Chapter five. Yes. Oh, yes. Sparks gone out of me, hasn't darling? To Olivia tells the story of how a dilettante, semi-successful children's author became, well, Roald Dahl. The death of Olivia may well have contributed to that, certainly. It's not just you who's lost living. You have to fix it before it's so broken and it can't be fixed anymore. But then the film starts to turn into the story of actress Patricia Neal who made her name playing opposite some challenging co-stars including John Wayne, Ronald Reagan and Gary Cooper with whom she'd had an unhappy affair for years. And at the height of the misery she shared with Dahl came the offer of work with the biggest star of the time, Paul Newman. Paul, it's so great to see you again. Pat? What? Smarty. We thought you might have gotten lost. But only in this house, it's enormous. Thrilled to have you on board, Pat. Oh, I'm thrilled you wanted me. Now, you don't have to be a student of film structure to be wondering at this stage whose story is this, anyway? It may be the story of Roald Dahl, with the punchline to be him having a gigantic and famous hit. Shit happens, right? Yeah. Shit happens. So I've got a crazy idea. Let's talk about HUD. You got a favourite scene, Pat? But it's also the story of Pat Neal and how she turned a bit part in Paul Newman's HUD into a career boost with awards and critical acclaim. And in many ways, to Olivia, is also the story of younger daughter Tessa, who finally came out from under the shadow of her beloved sister at the age of about ten, which is no mean feat. We all become stories in the end. Don't you think she'd like to be remembered with a happy one? One gobstopper, please. In other words, it shouldn't work at all, and the reason it does is entirely down to the performances. Despite being far too nice for the role, Hugh Bonneville brings Roald Dahl home nicely, as does the peerless Keely Hawes as Patricia. And almost as good as Sam Hewen in a short bit as, I'd have said, the inimitable Paul Newman. No kiss, you just walk straight to the bus, and and not even look back. Yeah. (sighs) That is the bus station scene. Hewen absolutely nails Newman, which may be a tribute to him, to Newman, and of course to writer-director John Hay. I was slightly surprised at how Hay finished the film. In real life, it turned considerably darker. But maybe that's the point of a Roald Dahl story. He can end it wherever he chooses, and this one chooses a happy ending. Big marshmallow mountain. I like that. That's a very good idea. Many people have called Charlie and Chocolate Factory one of the finest children's books. Do you like it? I love it. I rather think she would have liked it as well. To Olivia. Norwegian film The Innocence is hard to find. I had to be given a copy this week. But when you get a chance to see it, I urge you to go. It's the most nail-biting, sinister and scary use of children in a horror pick since Let the Right One In. It opens on a family moving house, mum, dad and two young daughters. One, Anna, is seriously handicapped. She's autistic and non-verbal, while the younger one, Ida, is bratty, easily bored and resentful of the attention her sister seems to get all the time. They arrive at a block of flats that are mostly deserted. It's midsummer; most of the residents are on holiday. Ida mooches around and meets a boy equally at a loose end called Benjamin. Do you want to see something? He asks. Irene, ja. Skall vi stanna nu? Ben can seemingly move things about without touching them. Just little things at first, but as the film progresses, those skills start to build. And as Ida gets to know Ben better, he becomes increasingly creepy. We come to dread those moments when his eyes roll back and he starts concentrating. Ben may be a bit scary, but for some reason he's nervous near Ida's sister Anna. Even though Anna doesn't talk, she now has a way of making contact with people like Ben and also another neighbour, the sweet and upbeat Aisha. Aisha has her own powers. She seems to be telepathic. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. i here. We think the same. It's It's only after a while you realize quite how amazing the performances are in The Innocents, particularly the central character of Ida, whose soul is the one at stake here. From a spoilt, easily led kid to one forced to make difficult choices, she's absolutely believable. And, of course, that's down to the directing, one Eskil Vogt, who also wrote the script. I was surprised to learn he wrote another brilliant Norwegian film this year, the quite different The Worst Person in the World. And the one thing the two scripts have in common is that they start small and seemingly predictable and then tighten the screw until you have no idea where this could be going. Mama. I am a miss- The innocent seems to encourage a search for hidden meanings. I've heard this described as a cautionary tale about lax parenting, as a parable about good and evil, even a comment on colonialism. Two of the families are immigrants. And like all great horror stories, particularly those with children at the centre, it could be all of these or none of them. The powers of the children build, and so does the tension. No explanation is given other than an occasional shot of the nearby primal Norwegian forest. But part of the driving force is the equally primal instincts of children. Why shouldn't magic be real? And if they don't like something, they lash out. (laughs) I'm not normally a fan of scary movies, too many hollow explanations involving ancient burial grounds for my taste, but the innocence is unnerving in all the right, horrifying ways. Come We left, It's brilliantly conceived, very well executed. You see exactly what you need to and no more. And the performances, mostly first-timers, are absolutely gripping. One of the top five films of the year, no doubt. And as we set sail from the fjords of this Nordic show, it's time to go. I'm Simon Morris and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week.